back to the Masters Learner. I'm your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. And Hello. today, we are talking about Neon Kamigawa, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. We are here. This set is like the dopest thing ever. I don't know if you saw the Wit trailer. So Wit is the uh, the animation studio behind a lot of classics, including the original uh, four seasons of Attack on Titan. No. Uh, and I I can't. I can't I can't express how how hyped that trailer is, how hyped the set is. The power level is through the roof, just all cylinders firing. Yeah, the power level is super high. It, it's a hyper complicated set, but with flavor that I'm super into kind of feels like a com. And I know the designers behind this are the same people that brought us Kaldheim uh, and Ikoria. And so you have. Some of the similar kind of cool flavor stuff I think that you see in Ikoria, there are a lot of words on these cards, which feels in line with those. But to me, you know what the set actually feels like when I look like when I look at it, it feels like a hybrid of like Ikoria and Strixhaven. Like that's that's like what I feel like I'm looking at in terms of the vibe of the cards. It, it's like got this cool, like just interesting world. And mm-hmm. there's also like a very, very, very cool multicolor angle. And then like, I don't know, I, I'm just into it. I just think it's it's the most exciting spoiler I've looked at in I don't know how long since Modern Masters 2, probably. Yeah, I I like I guess like Strixhaven, right? For uh, oh, yeah, Modern yeah. Masters 2, either one like the 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 world is amazing. They've done such a great job of bringing this world into the modern day. The incorporation like I love coming back to this world now where like pop culture of content created from japan has been able to be allowed to be incorporated like there are actual ninja turtles there's you know there's there's, uh like mechs and and like hack you know i and they've done such a good job i like i like really love everything that's going on with it i love the story i love that it's bringing us back to a greater story and magic being told we had a whole episode on that with with uh michelle rap uh two weeks ago so i definitely recommend checking that out where we go into the story and like how magic story got here but uh yes like i love the mechanics i love like how it's fiddly in a way that like uh, you know people were complaining because it has a similar it has the highest word count of any yes. sand previously that's been a problem but one of the reason it has that is because reconfigure adds like 30 has all of the equipment text to every card so yep. it's like cheating in how you count how many words are on cards because you don't like my my brain doesn't need to read what how vehicles and equipment work every time i cast it right it's more it's more just like that ups the word count on all of them there is the fact that like reconfigure and sagas also like add not have a lot of words. sagas and channel also add a chunk of like text because every channel card is basically a split card and um every saga is a flip card with three lines of ability text on on it and a backside so like that adds its own text level but it's all pretty grokkable like most of it I, hasn't yeah i was gonna say i do feel like one of the things here that works for me and i know this is a, a weirdly specific opinion but like transformed sagas as the flip cards are actually a great choice. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that flip creatures and just cards that like you, like sagas are inherently complicated anyway. They're like their own class of card. So Mm -hmm. when I see one or I play them, I expect it to like have this effect that I'm going to have to worry about for longer than just casting it, like just casting it the first time. Whereas Mm -hmm. creatures in general are something that like I expect to cast and be able to look at the front of it and know what it is. If a creature flips, that's fine. But a saga in general is a choice that I'm going to have to evaluate the real value. It's going to take more than one turn to see that value. So the fact that it flips into something else 
it being a lot of words on that card, I guess, just doesn't bother me in the same way. Whereas I felt like with Kaldheim, like flip creature equipment stuff was just like so my head just couldn't handle it. You're you're also like you don't have a choice with sagas. Yeah. You play it and something happens with all when, when with all the flip cards, the modal dual face cards, you had this choice with them. I think like it's been really interesting over the last two years and it feels like just mode double faced cards are now just a part of magic sets like they don't yeah. have to be but they're going to be regularly incorporated in them because i don't think we've we've had one set since core set 2021 basically that didn't have flip cards because you like the dungeons and dragon set right was the only one that didn't but yeah. like the ability to like of all of the different interpretations i think sagas and zendikars are my two favorites the 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 land on one side yeah, choice on the other or the saga that scales into that. I will say I also like Disturb. That would be my third choice if I were to pick my top three. Yeah, Disturb is examples because cool. Disturb the like I like when the I like when the backside is a different thing, right? It's it it, it when it was just like I'm choosing between two different spells that always felt like a little bit more exhausting in choices and also feel bads. Where like when it's a backup plan of like oh this is a land one I need it or it's a cool limited effect great oh this is a like flashback card that this is a creature that when it dies, I can flash back to the other side. Great. That's like a specific time when I get to use that with these. Great. It's a saga that slowly builds into a creature on the other side. And like, I I'm in love with all three of those interpretations of the double face card. Yeah. I think this, it seems like they continue progressing towards a place where the things they've experimented with are just being explored, doubled down on. They're getting rid of the complicated stuff. I think the mechanics in the set are terrific. So I know we're going to go through and do kind of a top 10 style, uh, just like talk through a lot of different. Oh, awesome I have a list of 40 cards that we're going to talk about. And we're going to try and talk about as much as we can today within the hour, a lot of time. And then we're going to move on to the next thing. But when I say top 10, what I mean is top 40. KTLA top 40. I am Ryan Seacrest, and these are the top 40 Kaldheim cards. Not Kaldheim, Kamigawa cards. So we're going to get into all that. I do want to give a quick reminder to everybody here. We are brought to you guys by TCG Player. Thank you guys so much for supporting what we do. It is awesome. You guys can use an affiliate code that you can find here at the bottom of the screen. And we have an awesome setup now. We are partnered with Alter Sleeves. Uh, and Alex can tell you all about that deal. Yeah, so there will be a link below and you can check out all of our like preferred alter sleeve cards that we love. If you buy it through our page and use the code, the MM cast during checking out or any any time you check out at alter sleeves uh, that throws us support from them. Uh, we are also working with them to develop uh, a few uh, kit, uh, Patreon exclusive alter sleeves that if our patrons at a certain level uh would like they get to get those cool alter specific artwork those we haven't figured out totally yet the first one will be for march so keep an eye out uh for then which i guess this comes out next week so the next time we have a podcast episode will be for march uh so we'll announce what 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 card we're doing and, and hopefully we'll have some cool artwork by then as well uh to show all y'all uh, but in the meantime make sure to check it out you can see all the different stuff there's a link below or just use the code the mm cast uh link below goes to like our preferred uh different uh cards that we picked out are some of our favorites on the website uh beyond that um the last thing you know is our patron is important uh we it's one of the reasons we have it if you like this podcast and you want to hear it a week early uh, especially audio only listeners the whole podcast is posted on our patreon literally the day after recording unedited and it has a bonus 10 to 20 minutes worth of content every single episode uh, at the very beginning so even if you like want to watch this edited on the youtube channel if you want like an extra bonus 20 minutes it's always at the beginning you get bonus content every week on the patreon and uh that's for five dollar uh, uh tier and then also you get early access to a uh to the episode fully edited 
on Mondays where the episode normally comes out on Tuesdays. So a bunch of early access available to anyone uh, on Patreon. So definitely make sure to check it out. It's one of the reasons we're able to get Marshall to help make the edited version and to produce the podcast and keep it going. So it's super. And, and thank you to all our patrons who, who help make this happen every week. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And uh, we're definitely excited to be talking about Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. So let's get into it uh, without further ado. Where are we starting? So the first card is, is and I think it's right now arguably maybe the best card in the set, uh, and that is Lion Slash, which is one white artifact creature equipment cat. Uh, you can pay one white exile target card from a graveyard. If it was a permanent card, put a plus one, plus one counter on Lion Slash. Equipped, the equipped creature, if you equip it because it is a reconfigure equipment cat, uh, the equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each plus one, plus one counter on Lion Slash. So uh, this is Scavenging Ooze. Scavenging Ooze, the equipment. And, it's, yeah, uh, it's, and, it, and, it's, and it is the first... It's it's the flagstone reconfigure card, right? Like the flagship uh, reconfigure card. Yeah, it definitely yeah. is the card that feels like it's what the whole thing's about. We're supposed to feel like this is an equipable scavenging ooze. Right. So so this the for for it, it's only slightly worse than scavenging ooze in the sense that it's a one one versus a two two. But the fact that this is equipment means that it comes down as a creature, and then you can pay two mana to attach it to another creature, and it'll get the benefit. And this, it's the plus one plus one counter on it. Will then technically apply to the creature that it's attached to and the reason that this is exciting first off scavenging ooze is already a historically classic modern staple right like uh, that, that that is a card that i see modern play since it was printed in it uh the other thing is that you can tutor for this and cheat this into play with stoneforge mystic that's so crazy it's like so so now stoneforge can get you equipable scavenging ooze in its color like Correct. It's just like as the design space gets deeper and deeper, we just get so we get closer and closer to just like, oh, you want all the things here they are. <laughs> and and like it's going to be really interesting because right now in modern, like the three most played equipments, uh, you know, are batter skull, cauldron complete, uh, uh, shadow spear, and then maybe fire and ice, really. And well, I think like Colossus Hammer, I mean, it's the most played. Oh, oh, but- oh, Colossus Hammer. Sure, sure, sure. Um and yeah, that's that's definitely over fire and ice. So so and like I think this card is like just a slot into almost any deck that's playing Stoneforge Mystic. I think you just play one of because like it's so versatile in what it answers. You're able to fight off a lot of different strategies. That's really nice. While also just being like a decent threat on its own, right? Like the 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 fact that it's a two drop that you can reconfigure is really good. And in the decks like Colossus Hammer decks, the fact that it is able to be played in Luris decks is also really helpful. Yeah, I mean, I think it's... I, I do think it's interesting that this is white. Um, I like... I know that... Like, white doesn't have the scavenging ooze effect already, right? This is no, this no. is new oh, for this white. Is the, like, this is the first time. I mean, like, nothing that scavenging ooze does wouldn't be a white card, though. Like, exile cards from graveyards is for sure white. Hmm. Putting plus one, plus ones on counters on your creature, also white. It's like a it's like a little adjacent to green, but I think as a white card, this makes total sense. I don't think there's anything. Yeah. And it's I'm not that it. anyone's complaining about moving abilities out of green into white. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm good with it. I think Lion Slash is phenomenal. I think this card's really powerful. And uh, yeah, you also you also don't gain life. That's the other thing that this is missing from Scavenging News, right? It doesn't have the life gain and it doesn't. True. It's, a, it's a one one versus a two two. Very um, true. So this one we're going to talk about is Spirited Companion, one in a white enchantment creature dog, one one. When Spirited Companion enters the battlefield, draw a card. This is a good boy. I mean, this card is like, again, you want to talk about things being designed where they feel like they're taking an idea of like what you would like to be able to do in certain situations being like, why don't we just give you that 
plus. Like that's like that's how that last card feels, and it's kind of how this one feels too. It's like, man, wouldn't it be sick if I had like a creature that entered the battlefield for an enchantress deck that was also an enchantment? Right. Like that'd be great. <laughs> like, like if they oh. had printed if they just printed white scavenging ooze, people would already be excited by it. But then they printed a white scavenging ooze that's tutorable <laughs> by Stoneforge Mystic and can give its abilities to other creatures. And yeah. Spirit Companion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now this is like I mean, we you and I have talked for many years about like how many creatures are there actually various colors that are just the one one for two that enter and draw a card. And like mm-hmm. you blue has one that you can sacrifice. Uh obviously green has multi, at least one elf, maybe two elves that do it. Um, they, look, most of the colors have like a version of something like that. Black has yeah. like a lose life draw card one. Um, this one is just a white one that just does it outright, but it's also an enchantment. Right. Which, like, right. It's like, it's a, it's, it's Elvish visionary, right? But it's a dog, which is a less relevant creature type. Now on the long run, there's no way that dog isn't a more supported tribal creature type because totally. it's just super popular. So that will be relevant in the long run, but it, it also makes up with it with the fact that it's enchantment. So you, any enchantress deck, like any, anytime you have like a Scythus in play, this comes into play and draws two cards, gains you a life and is now a creature that you can kind of sit on. And like, you know, it has the, like wall of omens is a modern staple, like over the, the, the history of modern wall of omens has come and gone is a card that sees significant play. And in a lot of situations, this is just better than wall of omens. Not in all wall of omens being a zero four defender and being able to just like brick any three, three on the ground has been super relevant in the past. But, uh, you know, and, and like the first time I ever played wall of omens was the fight bloodbraid elves right because it just like is a bloodbraid elf eater uh and and this doesn't necessarily do that but in other formats where like like modern right now where ragavan exists and you want to be able to stop a x1 this is a great answer to that where if you play this on turn two and then on their turn two they attack you you now just negate their you know one of their best cards yeah for sure i mean this card's great uh it's it's not that complicated. It's more just like the utility of this card and the decks that's going to fit into over the years is going to be very high. And ultimately, Enchantress is, a, is an angle they've leaned into more and more. I mean, Enchantress, for those that don't know, you you tweeted this the other day. Like, so I've been playing Magic since 1995. I started playing like pretty close to the beginning. And Verduran Enchantress is the OG OG, green, green, one for a zero two. And they've been printing them over the years. But really, in the last five years, four years, they've leaned in hard. There was... Originally, there was just like a there was a time shifted one that they gave us from uh, from Planar Chaos that was just the white version of the green one. You had our Gothian and you had the enchantment, but they've they've printed like six of them or something over the course of the last few years. So it's definitely supported. It's a play style that Wizards likes to support. And this card is just it's like the ultimate common you could put into this deck. And so it's just cool that we have it now. I actually think this is great. It's great design. I'm very happy to see it. Uh, all right. So the next card is uh, and this one was one that was surprising. I actually opened it uh, in one of my like arena drafts I did over the weekend and the wandering emperor two white white legendary planeswalker. No, no planeswalker type. Interesting uh, flash. As long as the wandering emperor enters the battlefield this turn, you may activate her loyalty abilities anytime you can cast an instant plus one put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target creature. It gains first strike until end of turn minus one create a two two white samurai creature token with vigilance minus two exile target tapped creature you gain two life and I do think think you know when i first saw this card i was like i don't know how modern relevant this is going to be right like it, it is it is and i i think like in a big bygone era this would be like a slam dunk conversation yeah but it being a flash removal spell with sustain attached to it that also is a flash 2-2 vigilance creature that can then protect her that is also just like an insane combat trick like well, also, don't forget about the fact this is the thing that I looked at this card and I really thought about because it, it took me a second to get this. 
you leave your mana open. You flash this in end of turn. So white, white, two gets you a two, two. But because mm-hmm. it's only minus one on three loyalty, you untap and then you make another two, two. Now, if you want to just go for broke, right? If you want to just go for broke, one of your two twos will be able to protect and just block. So you can have the opportunity to make a third two, two on your next turn. Mm-hmm. At the very least, this is a flash six power for four and white, right? If nothing else, that's what you're getting. You're getting six, six power no, no, over you, three you creatures. Only- you can only activate her abilities on your opponent's turn, the turn she enters play. No, no, I get it. I, okay. I'm, I'm not saying you get to do it a third time on their turn. I'm saying because you have a blocker, it's likely that you'll be able to survive and she'll oh, be able, sure. or, or they'll be able to make another one. So find me the spell, find me the spell that is white, white two at instant speed that makes you three, two, two vigilance creatures that just does that over two, over two turns because it doesn't right. exist, right? The rate on this already, if you're just using the minus is so high, it's like a very good card. Add that to the fact that the plus now makes one of these a 3-3 Vigilance. The first strike thing matters. It's a removal spell, and you can just keep ticking up and down every other turn, getting yourself another 2-2. Like, this thing is value town. Value, like, in a control deck, this is a very, very good win condition. Right, like, your, 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 net, your net game plan is, like, yeah, as you said. Like, even if they remove it, as long as they don't have an instant speed removal spell, you're getting uh, four power for four mana, two of it, which was at, at instant speed. And at the same time, you also are getting access to a removal spell and a, and a, and a combat trick and a, extra damage that can get damage through there. It does a lot. It I think it might be like. Five percent to underpowered to make it into modern is, is kind of where my head is at. I think it's close to playable, but I don't know if it's all the way there. And I think it's plus not it's plus just being first strike and or not building towards anything. It not. Put, yeah. Oh, yeah, well, it does put a counter on something, so that that is relevant. But not it, getting life, not getting lifelink is the thing that I think really takes away from it. But the lifelink thing is what I was thinking. Probably the plus would be about so that you would be able to gain some life with the block. Um, like if they were if they were lifelinker instead of vigilance, I feel like they'd probably be this card would be a little stronger. Um, but which, I will. Yeah, there's like obviously ways you can make it stronger, and the point of a card is to make it as weak as possible but playable, <laughs> right? Theoretically, well, I I think that if you compare this to classic examples of four mana planeswalkers when we try to establish like what is the what's the rate you're getting so like Mm -hmm. a johnny vengeant you're getting lightning helix for four mana right the minus is lightning helix for original kiora you're getting explore for four mana for this you're getting instant speed two 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 creatures that spell is not a spell that normally exists we don't normally get white white two create two two vigilance creatures like maybe it's an uncommon combat trick that exists once or something but like you're only having to minus even yeah, like it's a yeah even even like a uh flash three because because the other way to look at it, you get a flash three three right and a flash three three and a planeswalker in play and and then you're ticking up from there uh, like i i agree that it's close and its play pattern is really beneficial to what blue white decks are trying to do anyways like you want to be able to hold your mana up so you can cast a solitude or this you want to be able to use the fact that you played a five mana to fairy to untap and this is another card that just gains the benefit of like playing the tap, you know, the draw goad game that blue white is more and more able to do in modern. So, yeah, I, I, sure. I think it's I think it's real close. Right. I, I just I don't I, I, I don't know where it's going to fall on the line. And 
it's competing with stuff like solitude and and does this beat it out and i think it's possible you, you'll see one and twos of these in decks though for sure and if we're being honest in modern in a blue white control deck at the four cmc planeswalker slot they don't play 4x jace the mind sculptor so this is competing it's competing with cards of that power level to take exactly. up the slots, like is this is as like, good as jace i don't think so it but i think this card's extraordinarily strong i do I, think this card's gonna see play and it does something different than what jace does right and that's one of the reasons i think it's still possible Next card is Hotshot Mechanic. One white, there's just a, a white mana uh, for an artifact creature, Fox Pilot. Hotshot Mechanic crews vehicles as though it had its power were two greater. It's a two one. So it can crew vehicles for four as a one drop. So this is the thing that's fascinating that's already happening. And it's seeing more in uh, Pioneer than you're seeing necessarily in Modern yet. But that's, uh, you know, apt to change uh, and, and is very possible is we're starting to see these reanimator. And there's other cards that we'll talk about in a second. These reanimator equipment or uh, uh vehicle decks and there's just like the main game plan being reanimate parhelion and then animate it and win the game and it's doing that off of the back of the new reanimating spells the new ways to cheat equipment into play and then cards like this that let you then uh crew vehicles at much easier rates than you normally would be it's like this there's the land that also does it for three mana and so you're able to take advantage of these like vehicles that they've printed that are just like massive and and like were never intended to be played really and I now because you have these cards you're able to kind of cheat them into play and they're like massive beatings you're getting like 12 power into play with them yeah i, do, I mean this card this card is representative of the pilot token that it keeps getting made in the mm-hmm. set and i think what's interesting about the pilot token and this card in general is this is an obvious response that wizards has had in their design team which is okay the powerful vehicles we gave you by and large are a little bit too hard to crew. Uh, they're cool, but we, we don't mind giving you like a little bit extra gusto to make these things a bit more usable. Otherwise, this whole class of card we've come up with historically is going to seem like really dumb, weak uh, equipment, which is like a lot of what the early equipment is, right? There's like mm-hmm. three good ones, and then all the rest of them are just like these trash cards that are super expensive. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a little bit of a feeling that they've made a lot of vehicles and a lot of them just weren't exciting. So the pilot token and this card are both like we're going to make like we're going to push vehicles and here's how and like you know one thing they're not you know a one mana two one is good right like obviously there's that's now the base level power power you need to be a playable one drop but like that's the startingly strong position that then has a lot of things that work with other cards that are really good now that, that are starting to build entire deck archetypes around them the the one thing i will say is um on, on on the vehicle thing is i think you're right right like we've talked about this i think in the past where for a while like wizards did the thing that they did with equipment where they swung too hard for the fences with with thoptercopter in the first set and like a few of yeah. the other ones and then like have just exclusively made bad equipment yep. like every equipment or vehicles they've just like made only uh, almost unplayable vehicles until very recently with esekai chariot and and now we're starting to finally see them once again revisit it, kind of getting an understanding of what the power level for these cards should be at. And we're going to see more of it, I think, as we move forward, especially as we're going to New Capenna, which is going to be like, if I don't get a taxi vehicle in that set, I'm going to be pissed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the next card is Light Pause Emperor's Voice. One white legendary creature, Fox Advisor. Whenever an R enters the battlefield under your control, if you cast it, you may search your library for an R card with mana value less than or equal to that R and with a different name than each aura you control. Put that card onto the battlefield attached to Light Pause, Emperor's Voice, then Shuffle. Okay, so whenever an aura enters the battlefield, I'm just going to read this out loud one more time because it's a lot of words. It's a 2-mana 2-2 Legendary Fox Advisor. Whenever an aura enters the battlefield, if you cast it, you may search your library for an aura card with mana value less than or equal to that aura with a different name than that each aura you control. 
put that card onto the battlefield attached. So what this is saying is whenever you cast an aura, you can search for another aura that costs the same or less different name and put that attached to this card. So you get to double up on your mana for some equal or less than mana cost. Right. And people are talking like, could this see play in boggles? It does give a toolboxy effect to boggles where you're going to be able to find like the card that you want now uh, on top of the card you need. Now it has to get attached to light pause and light pause is specifically not very difficult to get rid of. Does not have hexproof yet. My, mind you, there are a library of different auras that give hexproof or give right. the ability to protect it. So after you cast your first one, you'll resolve a hexproof enchantment onto light pause. So that's not really that big of a limitation. Um, it does mean you have to play like one of those, but that's not a big deal. And then you're already playing all of the, the different um, uh, Umbra Umbra uh, uh, enchantments. I, I think it's a little too cute, but I think it. I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing the C play. I'm going to look this up because I think it's interesting. Uh, aura hexproof cost two. And we are going to see the first one that comes up because legitimately... You cast an hexproof aura that costs two. It gets you white, white plus three plus three. What's the good one that has to be the second one attached? Yeah, uh, I think Daybreak Coronet, right? So Alpha Authority can come down, has hexproof and can't be blocked by more than one creature. Cradle of Safety is a blue one, and then Starlit Mantle. So the only one then is Alpha Authority, unless I'm wrong about that. Well, if you cost. play, if you if you play green white, if you're not adding blue, yes, but that's still. But that's fine. I mean, that you can literally just play Alpha Authority. That card is a fine card. It's not good enough for that deck normally. But if the point of that card well, is like previously, you didn't need it, right? You were you were playing Boggles. So yeah. why do you need why do you need to give something hexproof? But now, if you're trying to protect, now you have this and Core um, Spirit Dancer, Spirit Dancer, and between the two of them, having an ability to protect them doesn't seem like the worst. Uh, I mean, Alpha Authority would mean that for two mana on turn three, after you've cast Light Pause. Right. It means that you cast this card. It comes down. It gives light pause hexproof and can't be blocked by more than one creature. And it attaches presumably daybreak coronet to it, which, if I remember correctly, is plus three plus three. I mean, I'm going to make sure this works and that and, I'm not misquoting. And I believe that they have to respond before they know what aura you're grabbing. So plus three plus so, three has first strike vigilance and lifelink. So now it's first strike vigilance, lifelink plus three plus three and can't be blocked by more than one creature. And light pause is a two two. Is that right? A two. So yeah, it'd be a five five. It's pretty good. I mean, that's a that's a pretty strong turn three, right? And you don't have to target light pause with the first aura, right? So you can target oh. your other creature. It can hit that uh, when you cast it. Light pause will then find an, an aura. They have to respond before they know which aura you're finding. So if they kill light pause, you can go find an aura you don't care about, and it just like will go into the bin. Or you can find you can find. I think it would go into the bin. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it would it would go into the battlefield, hit the battlefield, and then I think goes into the into the graveyard, which is another thing you could do. Which like if you wanted to put an aura that maybe has a benefit from being in the graveyard, like the the swans one, the bird one that gives flying. Sure, the boggles does play. Your worst case scenario could always be that you're just using it as a entomb to put that into your graveyard, right? Like that's like worst case scenario. You play light pause, you cast an enchantment spell aura on your on a boggle or a different creature you control. And they respond and kill light pause in response to you tutoring. If they do that, you go get uh, the swan enchantment, put that into your graveyard and you now have, you've now entombed for a good card or they don't respond and, or they try and kill something else in response to the first thing. And then you tutoring, you give light pause hexproof, And now you have this engine online for the rest of the game. And I don't know how, so yeah, I actually, with that information, I think light pause is, is pretty great in boggles. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a super unique card that doesn't exist yet that does very cool things in a deck that's pretty down the middle. So I like this card. And I think what you said about Spirit Dancer really, really adds up for me. This is a card that you can play alongside it that now having like, I mean, if, if it is Alpha Authority or if there's another card out there that like hex proof from your opponents or I mean, there, there may be something else that didn't show up in my search or something that costs more than two. Like, I, I think it's pretty strong. Yeah, agreed. Uh, next card is March of Otherworldly Light. It's uh, one of the March cycles. It's the white one, X and a white. As an additional cost to cast this spell, you may exile any number of white cards from your hand. This spell costs two less to cast for each card exiled this way. It's an instant. Uh, exile target art. Excuse me. Exile target artifact, creature, or enchantment with mana value X or less. So this is now competing with Prismatic Ending. It's yep. better than Prismatic Ending on a few axes. One is it's an instant versus a sorcery. Uh, two is it can get things that are bigger than generally where prismatic ends that you know caps out at three drops right you can go up to a larger creature and you can spend just mana into it um it's negative is that it can never be a one mana removal to kill a one drop right uh, well it would or if to do that you have to exile a card out of your hand um and so it's different but it's pretty close like the, like the the fact that this exists is like really kind of bonkers and how you can possibly use it well, also, I mean, wh- while this card, you if you need to cast it for, you know, one white, you can exile a card from your hand. You can also exile a one drop if you cast it for two, <laughs> which right, like, right, right. Is, is like a pretty fair. It's a it's a pretty fair backup plan is to just pay the hard rate of two at instant speed for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the know, fact that it's an instant is like the big difference there, right, is. Yeah, I don't know. I would play this card in modern over prismatic ending in some decks. Or like if you're on the play and you're against like Titan or something like that, uh, you know, like and they play Azusa like, OK, I'll two for one myself to get rid of your Azusa like immediately because you've accelerated off yeah. of your or amulet, your, right? Your tribe scout or something like that. Like, yeah, like there are there are some things in modern that come down that cost three that are like just extraordinarily bad for you mm-hmm. um, that. You know, I mean, I do think there's some some of the stuff like, you know, this is not going to do much for you against like a rhino. Like, like, sure, like one white gets rid of half of that spell. Uh, you know, there are certainly things that you're going to want to. But but I think that this card has a lot of utility. Well, well, I mean, any token, I don't I don't I, I, any token one white to kill it is fine. Like, yes, two rhinos is problematic. Uh, but I'm specifically a- talking about the eight power that's generated off rhino. Like if they make that and you're like, I'll counter it by getting rid of four power for this one card. Like, it's fine. It, it's, it's not like bad or anything like that. But it's I, I think probably the places that I see you're correct. Like amulet is a really important card to be able to get rid of. I think like uh, hammer is a really important card to be able to get rid of. I think that there are a handful of cards in that in that hammered deck, actually, because it's such a low to the ground, cheap deck that at instant speed, being able to exile something is really powerful. I think mm-hmm. that matters. A lot. Um, it's not going to do anything against Merktide. <laughs> they go so they go so far, up, but it does get rid of Ragavan. I mean, well, another- but you can scale it up to get to Merktide on this, right? That's something that Prismatic Ending can't do. I like that's kind of one of the things I like about it is like if they play Merktide, you're you and you draw Prismatic Ending, you're stuck not being able to deal with it. But if you draw this, you can like four mana and exile two cards out of your hand. Like, like once you get to a turn four perspective, yes, you're going all in on it, but you're also getting rid of their eight, eight flyer. So right. It might win them the game that they've probably gone kind of all in to get. And like, that's like what solitude does too in that matchup. Right. But this is, this is a worst case scenario. And like, I think, I think where I'm leaning is I would play two of this and two and three prismatic ending. Right. I would do like a five split with some solitudes in there. 
But I think it's also fairly fairly fair to say that as we go, we'll see we'll see like if the tempo setback of of playing this by pitching cards is like too bad because like I think anytime you ever do this. Unless it's an exact meta where you have to be able to get rid of something. Like if we're in a meta where like there is one pivotal creature and it's the best deck and that creature costs like four mana or five mana. Right. Like having this is going to be important. But if in a, in, a, in the general field, I still think probably prismatic ending is better than this. Because I don't think two for wanting yourself that often is going to be something you're going to totally want to do. Um, Solitude is good, though. So yeah. It feels it feels like the Inquisition of, or it feels like the thought sees to Inquisition of Kozlek and Inquisition right. of Kozlek being prismatic ending and this being the thought sees, That's uh, fair. which is praise, right? Like there's a lot of situations where you just play thought sees. So you're like, I, if the metagame is too wide open, I just need to an answer to everything or or if I'm in a mono white deck, right? Or if I'm in a deck that isn't reliably going to have enough colors to be able to make prismatic ending work, this is maybe an option. Uh, the next card is Touch of the Spirit Realm, or Touch the Spirit Realm. Two white enchantment. When Touch the Spirit Realm enters the battlefield, exile up to one target artifact or creature until Touch of the Spirit Realm leaves the battlefield. Interesting. O-ring. Or channel one in a white, discard Touch of the Spirit discard touch the spirit realm exile target target artifact or creature, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. Oh, so for two, it's got a temporary O-ring effect. Well. For two, you get to ephemerate your solitude. <laughs> okay, so it's got <laughs> oh, so so the backup plan is that you this works as a standard O ring, but it also has like a really interesting built in built in blink ability. Correct. I think like the black white decks, if they're looking for some more removal spells that can answer a wider variety of permanents more efficiently or more officially, not efficiently, but officially, like they can answer anything with it but then are getting an extra ephemerate on the back end to work with their solitudes or whatever. This is a great little kind of one or the other option that has some pretty, you know, classically good abilities. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, I think that's, I think that's really good. I mean, I I definitely think that having utility on your cards like that is something that like kind of any deck is going to want to have now. O-Ring itself is not something that sees a lot of play in modern, so... Correct. Now, and this is worse than O-Ring because it doesn't answer Planeswalkers, it doesn't answer enchantments, it's specifically artifacts or creatures, but... So this feels more clever than anything else. But being able to do the ephemerate thing with this while also getting a decent removal spell on the back end in the way that I like, in general, like stuff like Fire and Ice and Split Cards is nice, is nice. And this also is possibly cool in decks that, like, are the Cascade decks because you get to use the channel ability uh around cascade right like that's the other little feature now those aren't really trying to do the ephemera or the the solitude thing but to be honest they could like a lot of them are playing the the full suite of solitudes and friends and or and the other elementals and fury and this is great with those like now for you know three cards you're getting fury into play on turn two or solitude on turn two and you removal spell and you wipe their board right i think that's all pretty strong with the back end of this having on the other side like this is playable in that deck where ephemerate can't see play because it it because it's a one drop because channel is instant speed yeah that makes sense um well no, no, no me... be- because because um 
because cascade will cascade into ephemerate, right? This is the three mana effect on the front end makes it so you don't cascade into it into your into your cascade spells. Right, right. The higher cost on the front. Uh, so next card is actually Anchor to Reality. Two blue, blue, sorcery as an additional cost to cast the spell, sacrifice an artifact or creature. Search your library for an equipment or vehicle card. Put that card onto the battlefield and shuffle. It ha- has mana value less than the sacrifice permanence mana value, scry two. Um, so this is a card that like when we talked about the vehicles is seeing a lot of play right now, right? Or like seeing play in pioneer in the decks that are trying to cheat out the parhelions this is one of the best ways to get your big vehicles into play right now and those decks though they are not yet seen play in modern there's definitely a lot of lists i've seen online of trying to make it work and see if it's possible and this is a card that definitely is a part of that this is one of the main ways right now that you can cheat those big effects into play not to mention you also in modern have access to the equipment side of this which includes uh, culture complete, which I think is also going to be a really important feature to those decks in general. So I do think like if the vehicle deck has legs going into the format, Anchor of Reality is going to be one of the key pieces to that deck. Yeah, I mean, it's like Tinker for an artifact, but even if they're not getting like Parahelion, you can get Calder complete or something like that. All right, next card, Mnemonic Sphere. One in a blue artifact, one blue sacrifice Mnemonic Sphere, uh, draw two cards, or channel one, discard Mnemonic Sphere, draw a card. Um, It's one of my favorites in the whole set. Yeah, I got to play this card in the pre-release, and that, you know, at first, like, oh, it's just a spell bomb, it's another draft shaft. Uh, This card's bonkers. There's so many easy ways to get artifacts in and back into play from your graveyard just in magic in general the fact that you can discard this for one so it's a one mana cantrip that puts an artifact into your graveyard or you get to play it put it into play for two i like i was like oh this is an extraordinarily versatile version of this effect and maybe will be modern playable (laughs) i mean the sheer number of cards like ever printed in history that are permanents that draw you a card for one mana it, that are good it's such a high rate of return like now this doesn't come into play for one to draw you a card so there's like an x but the fact that it has the added ability of casting it on its front side for more value later in the game means that it's just a better draw late i mean let's just talk about astrolab for a second astrolab did have the restriction of costing snow and it's not like that card puts you that far ahead i mean it fixed your mana there's lots of things in magic's history that fix your mana. that uh. card was so good that it got banned like, yeah, I do think the mana fixing was the reason it got banned, though. I mean, like, yes, it cantripping was making it good, but it making you have perfect mana if you're playing snow decks, I think, was like the argument for it. Right. That being said, I do agree. Like the the amount of things that want you to have artifacts in play that also like late game run out of gas that this can help buy into. And then if you draw this at a point in the game where you don't need it or you don't have the mana to use it, you can just discard it to, to cycle it is like a pretty decent, decent power level. Now, I think there's the red one that I also have on this list that we'll talk about either uh, probably next week. But um, this card definitely seems of a power level that is pretty, pretty, pretty close to playable in modern for like, like the other piece of that is, is look at Emery, right? Like that's the one piece that I think is like really important where for one mana, I put this in my graveyard early game. I just discard this and then late game Emery lets me loop this every turn for four mana and like, that's pretty powerful on its own. Um, and I'm always interested in like what different spell bombs are existing and what you can do with them. Yeah, I think this is one of the best cards in the whole set. I think it's underrated how good this card is. I think over time, this is going to be one of those cards you start seeing show up in engine lists. We're going to be like, oh, how are they doing that cool thing? Oh, it's based on this card. 
Like that's what's going to happen. I promise. Right, you. right, right. It's like, oh, it's eggs is back. And here's why. Uh, Mindlink mech two and a blue artifact vehicle flying when Mindlink mech uh, becomes crude for the first time each turn until end of turn. It becomes a copy of target non-legendary creature that crewed it this turn, except it's a four three. It's a vehicle artifact in addition to its other types, and it has flying crew one. So first off, three mana for a four three flying crew one is pretty pretty great uh three mana for a four three flying crew one that gives any creature you play haste because it becomes a copy of it once it comes into play is also good uh three mana for a four three crying flying four three whatever that you can also use solitude to crew or fury to crew or any of the elemental pitches because they enter the battlefield and before you sacrifice them you can tap this to crew it so it becomes that creature so you can play this on turn three on turn four exile a red card flash and fury wipe their board and then swing with a flying four three double strike <laughs> yeah it's pretty good i mean it's <laughs> it, it's a copy of anything that crewed it this turn so i'm trying to think about like i'm trying to think about creatures that have a really good on attack that are like kind of inexpensive that could could crew this and then this would attack as a four three and then get their attack trigger i mean titans are obviously too expensive but like just trying to think if there's something in modern that has like an exceptionally high when it attacks um nothing jumps out at me right off the bat but that's where i'd be looking with this well, that's 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 to me why I was looking at the elementals, right? Like I was more looking at things that you can cheat into play temporarily that this gets to take advantage of that are seen. Right. And those right, are seen right, play right, right. or even late game making it Ragavan. True. Yeah. I oh, mean, it has to be a non-legendary <laughs> creature. I'm sorry. So non-legendary. So it can't be Ragavan. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, but yeah, so there that that's a, that's 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 um, actually one cool thing I think you can do with this and chat. Please correct me if I'm wrong. I believe now, this would have to be in the main deck with it. It couldn't be as part of the it wouldn't fit in the deck as as it in the companion zone. But I believe that like a card like Luris or anything that has a static ability when this copies it, it gets to do it. So if you have Luris in play and you have this in play, you then get to buy two things back from your graveyard with it. Oh, yeah. OK, you don't have to attack with it. You can just copy it and get two of the effect with it. Right. That's how Kess works. In, no, but uh, but wait, wait, wait but, but you're saying if it's a copy of Luris? But it's, it's not. Oh, it can't be legendary. God damn. It. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, but beyond that, I think that like there are creature yeah, effects like, like you that. are wrong. Alex, you're wrong. There, there are static <laughs> creature effects. Uh, fine. Come with a better one. Uh, Goblin Electromancer. How about that? Now yeah. every spell costs two less mana for the rest of that turn. And you got a flying four three of the deal. I think the um, biggest restriction on this card is just that it's a three a three mana flying four three is good it's not amazing it's not like something that would revolutionize modern there have been like hoops to jump through for that rate that haven't been taken advantage of in the past but i do think this card is cool and i think the copy thing is certainly interesting to play with i could see it i could see it being relevant there's also a lot of synergy with this being such a heavy artifact set like anytime you have a heavy artifact sub theme there's usually some added benefit or cost reduction that i'm not seeing that's going to push one of these cards way over the top so it is notable well and 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 the fact that like because I do think the Fury subtlety, that side of it is like relevant. Now, subtlety less so, but I think Fury is the big one because and, and even to an exec, second stack solitude because giving it lifelink is not irrelevant uh, as a four three. But I also think that the like 
you can still crew it with Ragavan, right? Like if I play this in a deck with Ragavan, Ragavan can still crew it. It just doesn't become Ragavan. But I get a 4-3 flyer for for three that turns my 2-1 that they maybe put a blocker in the way into still a useful threat moving forward. I just think that like a 4-3 flying creature for three mana that requires you to tap another creature is asking to get tempoed out of the game. This was my kind of general feeling. Well, th- and that's why you need to be breaking it, right? The, the, that's that's the worst case scenario. Yeah, because the, the, the correct case scenario is you you get to fury it, you get to you get to copy a creature that's actually relevant to have two copies of, or get to attack trigger get an attack trigger off of it, or being able to use stuff in a way that has haste into it. If it was uh, a three four, slightly different story, but it being a four three is tough. Sure. Uh, moon moon circuit hacker one in a blue for uh, a human ninja two one ninjutsu one blue just blue strong uh, when moon circuit hacker deals combat damage to a player you may draw a card if you do discard a card unless moon circuit hacker entered the battlefield this turn so if you ninjutsu I mean, this <laughs> and do damage to a player you just get to draw a card uh, and then from that point on it's a looter um, it's also an enchantment creature and it's a human ninja all <laughs> all relevant cre- card types <laughs> now this is like one of the situations where there's like maybe a little too much going on with this card i think this card is super dope but i'm also like i mean did this need to be an enchantment creature like is is the idea that this creature is like part of the mainframe is it like that the, is that like the idea why it's an enchantment creature i think so yeah. it's like a hacker yeah right which is which is dope i mean i love the th- i love the flavor there it's a rare example of me like definitely buying into flavor here uh i just love this card I mean, like you're telling me you're telling me that I can ninjutsu in this guy for one blue returning something that I already got value off of on turn one and I'm doming you for two and drawing a card. And Mm -hmm. because I ninjutsu, I don't have to discard like this is everything I want to be doing. This is literally like I think I think this card is like kind of actually has been not talked about enough. This is like one of the best. This is probably one of the best cards in the set. In my I opinion. know popper circles are like have been talking about it thoroughly, right? In popper, yeah. this is like a slam dunk. But I agree. I think this card's super playable. And and beyond that is really cool for sure. Yeah, I think I think it's enchantment card type feels more like a fiddly knob where it was like in limited or in this format we wanted the blue white or in standard or whatever format they're testing for. They wanted the blue white enchantress art archetype to be able to play with this card, right? Like they like decided like, Oh, what does it need? It needs this. And then they came out with this option. This, 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 this makes me want to play. Uh, what was the name of that card that I liked so much from, from way back when the constellation black, white, uh, under city underworld coinsmith yeah. black white two two whenever underworld coinsmith or another enchantment enters the battlefield under your control you gain one life and then you can you can pay one and two each opponent loses one life this card's not powerful enough but I love I definitely love the idea of just ninjutsuing my creatures back and forth mm-hmm. with like an underworld coinsmith type of deal like a bunch mm-hmm. of enchantment creatures like that sounds really fun yeah uh, next card is moon snare prototype it's uh, a blue for an artifact, uh, tap an untapped artifact or creature you control. You can use that to make one colorless mana, uh, or you can channel for in a blue to have uh, the owner of target non-land per- permanent put it on the top of their library. So this is a uh, a play off of, it's almost like the reverse Springleaf drum, right? Where this, this is all I've seen playing standard. I've seen some wild decks with Emery using this, where like, th- like with Emery, this Ornithopter, and Mox Amber, you can get like all four of them into play on turn zero, basically without like okay. on turn one. And you had just like an insane board in front of you already. 
Um, and you get to tap an untapped artifact or creature you control. So you can use this to tap Mox Amber, you know, or, or like it, 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 it builds off of that. So it, and or it helps you use your like ornithopters that you don't use. So it puts an artifact in play for one blue and it just does a lot of things. And worst case scenario, late game, it's a removable spell. Like if you yeah, draw this at the worst time to draw Spring Life Drum, this is good. I think it's a little underpowered, but I definitely see what you're talking about. The the front, the channel is kind of irrelevant. The front side of it, though, is definitely like an, an extra piece in that deck. I think Springleaf being colorless is a, is a notable for that card. This costing blue is but no, also but Springleaf drum is no longer really seeing play in anything. But like like first off, well, really seeing play modern. This is this I've already seen other than seeing play with hammer. this Springleaf Springleaf still in hammer. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, I think I think this card like is in the Emery list. I've already seen lists kind of out there doing stuff with it. So I think it's like already going to be seeing play. Uh, and this is a card I think you want to pick up foils of too because it looks really, really pretty. Cool. Network Disruptor. 1-1 one, one for an artifact creature, Moonfolk Rogue for one blue. Uh, flying when it enters the battlefield, tap target permanent. I mean, this card is sweet for a lot of reasons, but it's also just under the power level that I want it to be. It's like it, it being a rogue actually is notable. It being a one of flying men is notable. Um, it being the tempo card that it is is also notable. It just it doesn't represent enough power on its own to be a threat once it's done doing its thing. And so I think in the decks that are going to play 16 creatures and a bunch of spells, it's not going to fill one of the spots in modern. I mean, if you think about any tempo deck that's been blue, blue, red, mono blue like they're always playing with stuff like ragavan channeler like stuff that's really high 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 level of value for one mana Mm -hmm. i think this card just misses the mark for me i I, to me i think like it's almost there and it's all about creature types right rogue is a creature type that's relevant this plays really well with rogues it also plays really well with like ninjas that kind of now are starting to care a little bit more about rogues and being True. able to kind of loop this as a thing that you're bouncing and keeping your opponent from stopping you with their one blocker. And then on the other hand, it's an artifact creature, which then similarly with hammer time decks or other things where sometimes just that one blocker in the way is the reason they can't kill the opponent. And this lets them get through. I don't think this is playable in hammer time, but I think like from a tempo play and a useful tool, those decks can look at this. I do agree that it's just missing the mark. Uh, next card is reality heist five blue, blue instant. This spell costs one less to cast for each artifact you control aka infinity look at the top seven cards of your library you may reveal up to two artifact cards from among them and put them into your hand put the rest on the bottom of your library in random order so this um card is a problem in my opinion i think this card is going to be broken <laughs> this card is going to be broken so fast it's not even funny what like why do we think that dig through time is okay for artifact decks artifact decks have classically been very powerful now, granted, it's not Delve, it's Affinity, but it's not like the difference between Affinity and Delve in terms of breakability has been shown to be very wide. Like Affinity and Artifact Heavy decks have already been some of the best ever in modern. Like, I think this card got broken yeah. yesterday. Uh, I mean, how many Affinity cards have been tournament staples in modern? Like you're saying cards that are that have the word affinity or cards that are good that benefit from lots of artifacts cards that have the word affinity on them. I would also that's not if, if you want me to include uh, Emery, you can. So like give you Emery, uh, who's seen decent amount of play, but has never broken modern uh, partially because Urza just was printed right beforehand. <laughs> um, but like none of the affinity creatures that were big in standard have really seen a ton of affinity play. A uh, thought cast, I think, is the most played affinity card in the format. Right. Metalcraft has ended up being more powerful than Affinity has. That being said, this is obviously very good. Um, it also like like Dig Through Time getting any spell. Is better than this. 
Well, I mean, definitely. It's it's not as good, and it's obviously it's an uncommon, so they I don't think that they're intending for this to be as bombastic. This isn't a splash card. I just think the likelihood that this is good. There's such disagreeing philosophies on what rarity means on cards. Yeah, well, I think when they want something to be a staple card, like when they want something to be really exciting, it's temporal mastery. Like there's 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 a level of cachet that goes along with mythic rare that if they want something to be like insane. It gets printed at Mythic Rare. It's pretty un. It's uncommon that something gets printed as like an uncommon. It feels like it fits into their draft archetype sort of strategy, and it ends up being the the first card to be banned. There are a ton of commons and uncom- like commons on the ban list, uh, but also that are powerful and intended to be powerful. Like Unholy Heat, they knew it was going to be prismatic ending. They knew ahead of time it was going to be one of the most played removal spells in the format. Wasn't rare. Right. Sometimes they do it at Mythic. Like they wanted Raghavan to be a Mythic rare because they wanted that price to be high. But sometimes they put them at rare, knowing or common and uncommon, knowing that this will be a staple everywhere. And it's Fair. fine. I mean, it, maybe I'm wrong. I, I just think maybe this card is is intended to look exciting and oh, it's been tested to be not that good. I just think this card has a high likelihood to end up two different, problematic. Two different conversations. One, I, I think this card is bonkers, right? Like, I, I agree with you. I do think that, like, it's maybe a little bit safer than other cards that it looks like. But I do think this card is still very, very good. Separate conversation. I don't think rarity has anything to do with how powerful a card is from a okay. from a, a value. Like, I don't think Wizards is like, oh, we'll make this uncommon because we don't think it's that good. I think they're like, this is an uncommon in the set because it should be <laughs> for whatever reason that right. rarity doesn't necessarily dictate power level. The reality chip. One of the legendary artifact creature equipment jellyfish. Uh, zero four. Uh, you may look at the top card of your library at any time. As long as Reality Chip is attached to a creature, you may play land and cast spells from the top of your library. Reconfigure two in a blue. So, two mana zero four. That lets you look at the top card of your library, which in modern, with fetch lands, is already very, very, very good. Agreed. Then you add the ability to put it on any creature for three mana. Uh, and then... Every land and or spell on the top of your library that you take off of the top of your library draws you a card. God, this set is so cool. I, I, <laughs> there's a couple of reasons why this set is so cool. There's a couple of reasons why this card makes me feel that way. Not only is it like this is a good card. I like the way this card has to be. You, I like what's required to take advantage of this card, but it's called the reality ship and it's an equipment jellyfish which looks like some sort of weird bionic creature thing that's like attached to a pillar of energy and information it's like just cool this is the big this is the this is the macguffin of the set by the way as well right like the whole item that kaido and the emperor are trying to get from tezzeret that is like and and which tamio goes with them to get from tezzeret and then they find out that uh uh, uh, Jinka Taxis is there and that's why Tommy gets kidnapped and Phyrexianized like they were going f- this is the item this is the item that the Phyrexians are after and this is the item that they're trying to prevent them from happening so this is like the main plot device of this entire set um, but yes it's so dope uh, look at that <laughs> that legendary artifact creature equipment jellyfish is such a cool ability like <laughs> creature type or type <laughs> card type line and like I like I'm really close to just making this a commander deck uh, like beyond that just like I think it's modern playable I think like it's interaction with fetch lands by itself makes it modern playable not to mention that it like match it's the right converted mana cost this can go index with Luris in the command zone like it's such a cool value engine that's so good even when you're not at the peak level of making an equipment that lets you do this I yeah I, I love I love this card 
Yeah, definitely one of the coolest ones in the set. Would buy foils when you can get your hands on them. World. Uh, next card is Sky Swimmer Koi. This is three and a blue for a fish. Three, three. Creature fish, three, three. Flying. Whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. If you do, discard a card. Okay, so it's the fact that it costs four is probably the only thing about this card that is a little problematic, only because I think the Obviously, this is an engine, right? This is, sits here and you want this to be able to be some sort of a play lots and lots of artifacts and loot through your deck and and whatever. Like, that's what the deck's supposed to be about. There's enough things that cost zero and one and untapped lands that this kind of goes into the egg style deck or the like, um, what, what was the name? Cheerios, that style of deck. But it does cost four. And those decks tend to already have a number of things that cost four that are like necessary for the engine to work. So this thing costing four just to me feels like to cast this, be able to untap and actually go off with it seems a little tough, but it is an interesting card. For this, sure. this one to me, like the fact that it's a three, three and not a four, a three, four to me, or even a two, four is, is one of the things that hurts it for sure. Uh, yeah. But like, there is a version of this that you could just like go off with. I agree that it's not quite there. It's like really close. Now there's no, there, there's no other card that does this, right? There's a red one that lets you, discard a card to draw a card which is like just demonstrably worse and doesn't really work with what you need to do so it is something that's never really existed before which is something that's interesting about it but it is i agree a little bit of a a little bit too expensive uh next is tameshi reality architect tameshi reality architect is two and a white for whenever one or more non-creature permanents you are returned to hand draw a card this ability triggers only once each turn uh, you may pay X and a white to return a land you control to its owner's hand. Return target artifact or enchantment card with mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Activate only as a sorcery. Um, oh. I've gotten to play with this card. It's bonkers. Uh, the fact that it triggers off of you like bouncing their planeswalkers to their hand or other permanents uh, is also really good. Um being able to rebuy stuff from your graveyard uh, with the low cost of whatever it's mana cost plus white plus your a land returning to your hand is also pretty abusable. Um, I don't know if it's quite I think it's like it. It's just a little too expensive for modern, but I also think it's close. Like it, I it, think it does a lot of things and it draws you a lot of cards. This is a card that to me doesn't. So like, okay, we talk a lot about three mana creatures, Monastery Mentor over the years, or or like these days, like Knight of the Reliquary, like cards that are really good. And if you get to untap with them, do cool things. This fits in the same mold. The difference between this and those cards, though, is that this card comes down. And if you have even just one extra mana, like if you just do this on turn four, you play white, you get a zero cost bobble back into play, returning a land to your hand, like you already start the chain going it all like there is so much value to be gained off this card if you can protect it i feel like this card might honestly we we may like look up in two months and just see tameshi control as like a as an archetype right. like i wouldn't even be shocked like it, it feels it feels like literally just the combination of bobble and this and like etb artifact effects is just enough for this to just be good like right. that like just just to have its own deck you know i do i do think the fact that Luris sees it exists makes this card less likely to see play now i also don't know how long loris should be legal in modern still point. to be honest point. uh but i i do think this draws more cards than loris right like uh, off of a bobble for one white and returning a land to your hand you draw 
three cards, including the bobble or two cards, not including the bobble sacrifice the first time yeah. around. Right. And, and then the, once a turn, you're capped out on lands you've played. But once a turn, you draw two cards a turn for one white. Like that's an engine that exists now because of this card. And and there's a library of things beyond that that you can take advantage of and put it in a different decks to do different things. So, I, I yeah, I think this card is um, really sweet. I also think like an underrated version it, a home for this is amulet decks. Ign- ah, like, ignore the second ability in amulet decks every time you play a bounce land you draw a card <laughs> but only once per turn yes correct correct but it is but it is it is I, I agree with you i think this card is interesting and very powerful and i'm excited to see what gets done so i think we're just going to wrap up blue here and then there will be a part two coming up shortly thereafter you guys will see soon correct and that um, was so the last, what do we have that was the last blue card we are done oh, that was today. it mm-hmm. that was it all right, so that that is it. So uh, that this is part one. Next week we're going to be doing the uh, lands, black, red, green, and uh, artifact and gold spells. Uh, so we will see you uh, next week. Welcome back, Ben. Uh, and uh, if once again, if you can please hit up our Patreon. Also, uh, really quickly below, uh, we want to know how. Uh, and this is a trivia question, Ben. We're doing a trivia question. We're bringing oh, I them forgot. back. All right, all right. Uh, what is the name of the white legendary creature that prevents you from untapping lands from Kamigawa block. The name of the white legendary creature prevents the, the you... exact words are lands don't untap during their controllers untap steps at the beginning of each player's upkeep that player untaps a land he or she controls. What is the name of that creature? Because is that um oh. God, what is that card? It's from the original block? Uh, it is from the original block. It is from uh, exactly. Nope, I clicked the wrong one. Called a Cory Dust Drinker? Yes, that is correct. Oh, boom. Two white, white, two, two. So for all who don't know the trivia game, uh, you were supposed to comment your answer. Uh, we're, we're new to trivia. We're bringing it back. Uh, if you commented below the answer, thank you so much. If you didn't know the answer to that, you got to hit that like button. That's the rules. You missed up. You messed up. You hit that like button. Uh, and and we appreciate all of the likes, sub- subscribers and comments uh, below. Uh, it helps the algorithm live. Uh, thank you once again to our patrons. Thank you, TCG player. Thank you, uh, Ultra Pro. And thank you, uh, uh, Alter Sleeves, all of you are great. Here. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast and all of our streams. We do uh, Commander every Monday, which we did last night. Uh, you can make sure to check that on Twitch. And we're doing modern streams every Sunday with special guests every week. Thank you once again. Uh, and thank you, Ben, for coming back. Welcome back. Thank you for hanging out with me. Uh, I just, just so everybody knows, just so you don't get mad. I said, Okori Dust Drinker. And that is what I thought, even though it sounds like a silent H. Oh. And if this were the trivia championship of the world, I would be trying to rules lawyer my way into a win. But in the sake of transparency and honesty, I did say, oh, Corey, and I knew it was wrong, to be fair, when I said it. But it was the best I could oh, come up with. The quality of audio recording. I thought you said, oh, Corey. I think yeah. the H is an H is such a soft letter that you could have gotten away with it. Uh, I know. I just it's you know me and I was so excited too. you know, no, I love nothing more than being correct in trivia. All right. All right. Thank you, everyone, so much. And thank you, Ben, for being honest. And we will talk to you next week. Bye, guys. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.